I am the lineman. I don't know why I'm starting like that. Um, yes, I am. I am back making a, a terrible car-related podcast. It's been a while. Um, I checked. I went back. Third um, of May, I think, was the last time I recorded one, which is what ten weeks ago, give or take. Um, yeah, I just that last episode, um, which coincidentally enough was episode thirteen. Unlucky for some, um, was piss poor. Um, I'd obviously just fallen out of flow and I wasn't too well at the time and it's terrible um, don't even don't even attempt to go back and listen to it even not that I think don't think anyone was planning on but um, yeah just it, I fell out of flow and then I just stopped making podcasts and then you know just life continued on churning and well yeah um, yeah so I'm back um, the only really reason I'm doing one now today as well is because I have the time to do one um, because I'm not in work, because I'm supposed to be on jury duty, but um, due to ongoing legal arguments, um, we were dismissed for the day today, um, so I have some spare time. Um, I'm not allowed to talk about the case um, for obvious reasons. Um, all I'll say is uh, it's pretty grim. It's pretty grim. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Um, I'm currently broadcasting from... Um, the inside of a Mark 7.5, if you will, um, the facelifted Mark 7 VW Golf, um, which, um, on a subjective level, um, like it's not a, it's not a fancy golf, it's not a GTI, it's not a, it's on or, um, it's a 1.1.5 TSI, um, automatic, grey, um, but on the inside and outside, golf. So on a subjective level, um. It's as dull as ditch water. Uh, it's, you know, a golf is the most predictable and therefore dull choice I think anyone could make. But for good reason. Um, because on an objective level, this is a very good car. Um, it's it's a 7.5. I think it's on a 2... Is it a 201 plate? Or 202? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's very much... It belongs to my brother and his wife, um, and when they bought it, it's very much a run-out model because the, the Mark 8 was actually on sale when they bought this, yeah, so they got a good deal on it, and admittedly, it's it's got everything you'd need, um, it's got dual-zone climate control, and being the 7.5, some of it's on touchscreen, but most stuff, um, like the, the dual-zone climate control is, is all, it's all knobs and buttons, which are of a nice quality, um, and like, even like, stuff for the infotainment on the screen like there is a there's a volume knob and there's a, another knob which I don't know what the other one's for um, I don't know I, like, I turn it on there's, there's, there's steering wheel controls so again steering wheel controls are actual buttons not haptic feedback like they were on the Mark 8 Golf that I had on rent in Stuttgart a few months ago which I talked about in a previous podcast um, yeah it's heated seats um Automatic wipers, automatic uh, headlights, electric windows around. It's 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 got a leather interior, black. Everything's black. The trim is black. Um, all this, all the all the quality of materials is nice. Everything is like soft touch. Um, everything's screwed together really well. Some scratchy stuff lower down, but you know it's not really the stuff you you touch. The steering with leather. Um, it's got laser guided cruise control, which I find um it's actually quite interesting. Um. So it does the normal stuff, you know, follows, accelerates, blah, blah, blah. One thing I didn't realise it did until I started driving around in this for a week is when you're stopped in traffic, so it's you come to a stop, stop-start kicks in, and it automatically applies the handbrake. But it knows, and very, very intuitively, it knows when the car in front is about to move away, and it'll start up the car for you, and away you go. Um, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been faultless in the week I've been driving it, other than... So the DSG gearbox, um, whatever generation DSG is, it's a seven-speed, um, beautiful gearbox. I must say, if you're like, okay, I'm not into automatics because I'm a, you know, a, a car bore like most people watching this. Um, if there's a manual option, I'll still take the manual gearbox. Um, but again, on an objective level, for someone who just wants a car, um, for day-to-day use, it is brilliant. Um, it's super smooth. It's always in the right gear. Um, there's a there's a, just a, a, a drive, which essentially I suppose is eco, and then you can flick it into a sport. Um, you can flick it into manual mode, 
Um, so the one thing this car doesn't have is um, steering wheel mounted paddles for shifting, which I would like because you can, you can shift manually with the stick. But if you're someone like me, um, like if you're if you're anyone from uh, Gen X backwards or like me, uh, an elder millennial, um, you will have grown up in the in the era of super touring cars and the heyday of WRC cars where with a sequential gearbox you pull the lever back to go up gears and you push it forward to go down the gears but with the DSG gearboxes it's the other way round which is just unacceptable um, bullshit um, but that could all be solved by just having paddles on the, on the steering wheel which I said this one doesn't have um, the only thing that has gone wrong um, and this only happened I think it was yesterday or the day before um, stopped at a, at a set of lights um, and I know you don't actually have to do this with modern automatics technically and especially with the, these DSGs and especially when this will just um, go into stop start anyway um, when you stop traffic but I when I'm in using an automatic gearbox it's just my natural reaction when I'm stopped to just knock it into neutral so I did that set of lights lights went green I knock it back into drive and put my foot in the accelerator and it just screamed revs I was like, what the hell? Okay, I, I just knocked it back into neutral again and then back into drive and everything was fine. But it was enough of a faff, you know, for a couple of seconds to go by for the person behind me to beat the horn and stuff. Um, yeah, odd. Um, other than that, it's been faultless. But yeah, that was just a, a, a small inconvenience. Um, I'll take a picture of the car, um, not for any interest um, value, but just to, to highlight how... Um, how dull and grey it is. Um, but as I said, like for someone who just wants a car, which is all my, my brother and his wife want, they just want a good, reliable, well-equipped car. And when it comes to that, it's perfect. It, it drives, it, it's, it's got a very neutral handling balance. Um, it's it's not fast, but it's certainly not slow. Um, it's, it's it's economical. It's got the, uh, the it being this facelift, it's got the digital um, instrument cluster, which... I prefer just normal dials and you know a little screen in the middle will be enough for me um but you know they, they work fine they're very clear you're a bit overloaded with information like just like you can have the digital speed and then you can have the the, the 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 dial with the speed revs fuel consumption blah there's just a lot going on in the screen i'd, I'd prefer just some some analog dials and a, a simple screen in the middle but look that's the world we live in now um, I'll stop talking about this golf now because um, I've rambled on about it for several more minutes than I intended on. But what what I, what I really was getting around to is this is this was and will remain the high point for Volkswagen. Volkswagen obviously have decades of being arguably one of the best um, mass manufacturing car manufacturers um, of the. Well, mostly the 20th century the 21st has been obviously this is a 21st century car but of recent times Volkswagen have certainly uh, taken a step backwards like the Mark 8 it's just not as good a car as this um, like mechanically they're, they're quite similar but like the, the like all the touchscreen bullshit is, is, is awful um, and the materials are much cheaper and from what I've heard they're certainly not as reliable because well, Volkswagen have had to penny pinch, and um, Dieselgate obviously was a big financial hit for the company. And then they've they've had to like any money they do have, they've had to try and pump into EVs. Speaking of that as well, obviously there was actually a recent news story about um, Volkswagen, Volkswagen, Volkswagen uh, slowing down their production of uh, electric vehicles. Um, Stuff like you know, with with staff being put on uh, temporary leave and some of the factories being uh, being put on pause, I don't think that's necessarily um, any highlight on a trend on the slowing in uptake of electric vehicles um, by the consumer or any kind of shift from the the, the manufacturers at large um, producing electric vehicles. Um, although the synthetic fuel argument certainly is gathering pace, um, which is obviously something I and I'm sure anyone listening to this will be quite enthusiastic about, because um, we do love a bit of suck, squeeze, bang, blow. Um, but also, just the whole you know keep keeping 
what's already on the road going would, would be a good move and obviously the infrastructure is still is there you don't have to do anything to cars um, to make them run on synthetic fuel uh, anyway what, what I'm saying I, I don't think Volkswagen I think more the reason Volkswagen are pulling back on their uh, EV production is because I think they're getting wholeheartedly trounced by um, those their, their competitors from Asia like Hyundai and Kia are just gone next level um, even with their combustion cars but when, when it comes to electric vehicles I don't think anyone can actually touch them certainly in the, the mainstream world um, I haven't driven one but I, I set I sat sat in an, uh, an Ionic 6 um, which I think is a good looking car along with the Ionic 5 I think they're both cool looking cars um, striking if nothing else um, but inside the Ionic 6 it's just a really like it's a funky looking interior but again like where Volkswagen have fallen down now with, with penny pinching everything works now everything is still in touch screen which is bullshit a lot of manufacturers well stuff that's come out in the last couple of months there does seem to be a shift back to buttons which is a good thing and um, we'll still have touch screens obviously they're, they're not going anywhere but at least having having like main controls like stuff like HVAC and and just stuff like yeah volume controls and buttons on steering wheels so that just just some key features need to be on uh, on buttons stuff like I was watching um, Matt Pryor on Autocar did a video of the the Lotus Electra which I might talk about in further detail later on um, stuff like moving the position of the air vents is, is in like a sub menu in the touchscreen like that's just what's wrong with just I don't know if you can hear that but like just a little slider and a little up and down there's no way that putting all that in the touchscreen is in any way cheaper or more efficient than just because the vents are there and like you know the ability for them to move has to be engineered into the vent why not like even if you you have the electric option in the touchscreen why not just have the manual option there as well? I don't know. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm going completely off topic. Where where I was going with that was this Mark 7.5 Golf, I think, is going to go down in history as the peak of Volkswagen. It's a really, really good car. As much as people hate on the Golf, the Mark 7 Golf, or they only hate on it because it's become so ubiquitous because um, it was the... It was the fancy golf of the uh, the era of cheap finance, so people bought them in their droves. It's undoubtedly a unbelievable car, and um, the GTIs were good. And then just these these run of the mill, um, everyday everyman golfs, uh, 1.5 TSI like I'm sitting in now. They're just good cars, and uh, like the market that replaced it is rubbish. Pretty much, I, I can't think of a Volkswagen product. Um, regardless of their, their store brands but we'll just stick with Volkswagen themselves at the moment I can't think of a Volkswagen product that I would have any interest in at all and um, that's currently on sale and um, I don't see anything coming downstream um, that I'd want either um, yeah anyway I'm, I've rambled on a bit too much there um, I was just meant to, I, I went to go say I've, I've broad, I'm broadcasting from a golf and that was supposed to be that and then I went on, a, on an absolute tangent and I've already been how long have I been recording for I've already been recording for nearly 14 minutes um, and have said, as as normal, I've said absolutely nothing of any relevance. Um, so I'm going to move on to, to Formula One um, off the bat, off the bat, he says, nearly a, a quarter of an hour into a, into a podcast. Um, the reason I'm jumping straight into Formula One is because um, obviously there's some quite pertinent news which broke in the last 24 hours, and that is... Um, Red Bull slash Alpha Terry have made the move to replace Nick De Vries um, with immediate effect with um, the fan favourite uh, Daniel Ricciardo um, in, which I, I predicted this quite a while ago I was talking, talking to a mate about it not like, not like I'm some sort of savant it's a, it was kind of you, it doesn't take a lot to put the, the puzzle pieces together but I said a, f- a few weeks ago that I was like I think they're going to swap out Nick for, for Danny Rick um, Liam Lawson was an option but I think Liam Lawson wants to finish he's currently in um, Super Formula in Japan um, which is similar enough to to, um, to F2 is it, do, we, is it, do we call it Formula 2 now don't we or is it called GP2 no it's F2 isn't it anyway you know what I'm talking about 
Um, but it's just it's it's domestic to Japan only, but a very competitive um, yeah, for the championship. Um, Pierre Gasly was actually competing in that as well, and um, before he got called up um, to Alpha Terry to replace, did he replace Brendan Hartley? I think it was Brendan Hartley. Um, he got taken away from that to replace Brendan. I think it was for the American uh, Grand Prix in must have been 2019, 2018, 2019. Um, and he was one point in the lead in the championship going into the final round, but then they pulled him into Formula One. So therefore, he didn't get to finish the championship. Um, although I think there was something to do with, something to do with bad weather as well. It's like he missed a round anyway of Super Formula, and he meant he didn't get the championship. So that's, it's just one championship he doesn't have. On his uh, on his record, and to be honest, I'm not saying Gasly won't um, do things in the future, but I don't see Pierre Gasly being a Formula One world champion. Um, but we won't get. I'm going off topic again. What we were talking about was Danny Rick replacing um, Nick De Vries. So I did say this to a friend a few months ago, and it, ha- it has come to light. Normally, um, the Red Bull, AlphaTauri, Toro Rosso, whatever name they're going under at the time. They usually wait until the summer break um, to make these uh, these snap uh, driver changes. Um, now, there's still a couple of races to go before the summer break. Um, I think what kind of accelerated it was, well, one, um, the, I don't know what his exact, exact, exact title is, um, but Helmut Marko, um, big wig in, in uh, Red Bull, um, the Red Bull Folds, um, who makes these decisions on the drivers? Um, he's been quite vocal about um, Nick's poor performances, um, and then Danny Rick. Um, he's been working in the simulator for for Red Bull, and um, sorry, I'm adjusting the head, the, the armrest here. I don't know why. Um, he, he's been doing work in the simulator, um, so I assume they have good data from that. Um, he's done some private testing in some older cars for Red Bull, um, but also just a few hours before the announcement was made that he's replacing Nick DeFries, um, he was doing um, a Pirelli tyre test um, in the Red Bull. And from what we gather, um, so like the, this Pirelli tyre test, one, it was quite overcast and cold at Silverstone for the test. Um, and the test was a new uh, compound Pirelli were testing of tyre that will be... Um, the tire that they're considering using um, and removing tire blankets, um, which again is a whole other story. I'll get into some other time. Um, so it's a very different tire, um, very different conditions to the, as it was at the Grand Prix. But apparently, the lap times um, that uh, Danny Rick was putting in was only about 0.7 of a second um, slower than Max's pole time. Now, like we don't know anything about the car. Um, like you know what engine mode it was running what fuel load was like and again the conditions were completely different the tyre was completely different but you know okay like I thought well like it's hard to really judge where Perez was compared to to Max um, at Silverstone because uh, Perez was out in fucking Q1 um, for I think possibly the the, the fifth time in six races Um, we'll get back to Perez in a moment but anyway the the not 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 a bad lap time, regardless. Um, for someone who's been out of the game for half a season, um, including preseason testing. Um, again, I'm, I'm rambling on here a bit. What what I'm trying to say is that it's it's harsh on Nick, but not unexpected. Um, I was quite surprised when he got announced initially. It was a knee jerk reaction. Um, after he he put in a relatively decent performance in Monza last year, he managed to score a point. Um, and kind of walked over because um, he, he was filling in for Alex Albon's time. About I think it was appendicitis he had. Um, Alex Albon. Um, he was filling filling in for Alex Albon, um, and he managed to score a point and quite um, quite convincingly beat uh, teammate Nicholas Latifi at the time. Now not a high bar, um, admittedly. No offense to to Nicholas Latifi, but. Not exactly the greatest um, racing driver to, to grace the, the F1 uh, paddock. But also as well, um, Monza was a track that very much suited Williams, especially last season. High speed, um, 
high speed because like Williams works well in low drag. It's a very, very it's the most low drag circuit on on the on the calendar. Not you know look you know like he he scored points and there was quite a lot of retirements in that race and um, well relatively speaking in in a modern Formula One race, but then that one performance, while admittedly was a, a good showing by Nick, but it was a knee jerk reaction then. Oh, he did he score points? I think it was I think he finished ninth, so he probably got two points. Um, right, let's 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 sign him up um, for Alpha Terry next year. So he would have he was in Alpha Terry last year. That he's replaced. Oh, so yeah, so Gasly went to Alpine, and then so there was a door open um, at Alfatari, and they gave it to Nick DeFries, um, which was a, a strange move because he's he wasn't part of the Red Bull Junior program or anything like that. And Red Bull have a lot of um, rising stars in in their uh, their junior junior driver pool. Liam Lawson um, being being one name, and then they have uh, a. Uh, Iwasa, I can't remember his first name, Japanese driver, and um, was doing, he was having a very good um, season in in GP two at the moment, F two, whatever they call it. Um, so yeah, so they knee jerked and put Nick in. Now, I've never, I I found it strange because Nick DeFries on paper, if you go on his Wikipedia page, it seems like he's greater than he is. Um, again, look, look, this is me, this is me saying it, just judging him on on the high bar that is top level racing drivers obviously he'd run rings around me any day of the week um, I, anyone who can qualify a Formula 1 car is quite obviously an incredible driver but just in this high bar that is that is top level motorsport like he won I think it's the 2019 Formula 2 championship um, in his second season I think second or possibly ter- third um, I should probably research this stuff more Um because like so, okay, w- winning in your second season um, is you know look, you know there's a lot of variables, but those who who end up becoming absolute greats uh, who did compete in Formula Two, tenth of one um, F two in their first season, George Russell, um, Charles Leclerc, Lewis Hamilton, just a couple of names to throw out there, um, and also the competition that year wasn't exactly stellar. Um, his closest rival and the person he beat to the uh, the F2 championship that year was Nicholas Latifi, who we've obviously just spoken about. So there was that. Um, so yeah, he, he's an F he's an F2 champion, but he was an F2 champion in a pretty weak season. Um, and again, it wasn't his first season. Then if you go and look at well, he won the Formula E championship in 2020-21 because um, they used to, I don't know if they still do, but anyway, they used to do it midway through this year into the, into the next year. And again, he won that in, in one Formula E is dreadful. Um, it's such a, it's, 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 it's just a, it's a, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the details of Formula E. You, 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 you all know it's terrible. Um, but anyway, Going into the final round of that season, 13 drivers were in the running uh, to win the championship. Him being one of them, but it could have been one of 13. And then the last race was just chaos. There was um, changeable weather. There were all sorts of incidents here and there. Now look, you have to be in it to win it. And he he managed to get to the end of the race, um, while most of his other competitors didn't for various reasons. And that's how he won it. Now, there's there's so many variables again in Formula E um, as to how people score points and, and how people win races. There was fan boosts and there's different ways you can deploy the electric energy and blah, 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 blah. But anyway, he won. He was very, very fortuitous in winning the Formula E championship. Again, not taking away from it, he still did it. And again, you have to be in it to win it. And he'd, he'd do more than I could ever do in a Formula E car. It's just, I found it very surprising and it transpires. I was right in my surprise that Nick DeFries got a uh, a Formula One drive because, admittedly, he hasn't been given loads of time to prove his worth. But he's been convincingly beaten by Yuki Tsunoda in the in the in the sister car um, at at Alvatari. And yeah, so they've decided to give Danny Rick a shot. Um, they've nothing to lose. Um, the Alvatari is. From the looks of it, probably it's up there with both the Haas and the Alfa Romeo, but it seems to be probably the the shittest car in the grid this season. Um, it just doesn't seem to have any race pace. 
Um, so like, yeah, Nick has been has been uh, quite frequently um, the last. If he finishes, he's been last. Um, that's if he finishes. He's had a few accidents along the way. Um, so yeah, look, they've nothing to lose by putting Danny Rick in. Um, I I think it's partly going to be a bit of a a test bed to see one how he stacks up against Yuki and then how Yuki stacks up against him. If Yuki beats him convincingly, it's going to look great for Yuki, um, and will only increase his chances of possibly getting um, a go in the top team. But then the same goes for for Danny Rick too, because Sergio Perez is definitely on thin ice. Um, thankfully. Uh, Max is so dominant. Well, I say thankfully for Red Bull. Um, Max is so dominant. Um, he's gonna he's going to walk both the drivers and constructor championship probably single handedly. Um, and because Red Bull are so far ahead, Perez will probably be able to do enough to keep himself in second place. Although I think is it Alonso's third? I don't think he's that far behind him. Um, but yeah, but but the performance gap between um, Max and Checo. Um, which wasn't massive to begin with, is just getting bigger and bigger. Um, and his performances in qualifying are doing him no favours, especially come, come race day. Um, so I'd say, yeah, Prez is on thin ice, so this half season for Danny Rick um, is going to be an assessment for both him and Yuki to possibly replace Perez, um, unless Perez manages to pull out something special over the rest of the season. Um, anyway, I've rambled on again about, uh, about a topic way longer than I should have. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to play it. So it's with immediate effect. There's no um, Formula 1 race this weekend. Um, although there is four races in July. Um, it's a five-weekend month. So there's a gap this weekend. Um, next race is Hungary. Um, Hungary has been a, a good uh, stomping ground for Danny Rick over the years. I think he's won there. He's won there at least once, if not twice. Um, and he goes well. It's, it's a very different track to what we've just had at Silverstone. It's a... It's a tight, twisty, high downforce track. Um, so um, we shall see. Interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I'm not going to bog on too much about the season because there must be what there must be six or seven races that have ha- happened since I last spoke to you, to you all. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Silverstone mainly just because um, the biggest kind of uh, upset. I wouldn't say upset. No, that's, that's the wrong word. The biggest kind of um, the highlight of the weekend was the upturn in performance. Um, from McLaren, um, the Nor- of Lando Norris qualified second, um, and he finished second, which was great to see. Um, everybody loves Lando. Um, he briefly took the lead. He took the lead from the, at the start from Max and led for several laps. Um, but then obviously Max then eventually got the lead back, and um, there was no stopping stopping him once he got in the lead. But a very convincing second place um, from Lando, uh, especially like there was a safety car. And after the safety car, um, Lando was on hard tyres and he had Lewis Hamilton behind him um, on softs and Lewis couldn't get by Lando and Lando held on to second. Um, the McLaren was just, look, it was just, it was just, it was quick all weekend. Oscar Piastri, the rookie from Australia, his teammate, he qualified third. He got shafted by the, the safety car. He should have finished third, really. Um, but he just, because he, he pitted just before the safety car, so... Those who didn't manage to, well, only one car jumped him, but Lewis Hamilton managed to jump him in the safety car and got third place, um, which the Brits were delighted about. Um, two Brits um, on the British Grand Prix podium. Um, but yeah, the, the car was competitive. Um, now, again, we'll, we'll see what it's like at Hungary, which is going to be a very different track, but it, it seemed to perform very well in the high speed corners. Um, now, there's been a few people going like, being like, oh my god, how McLaren turned it around so fast? Um, you know, because like they, they, I think they've managed to more than double their points haul from before Silverstone, um, with the with the results they got, um, at the weekend. Um, but there's been a few people going like, mm, this is very strange. They must be cheating. What are they doing? Blah blah blah. But if we were, if we if we if we go back to pre-season when the cars were launched, um, McLaren. Were very vocal and very honest and vocal at the car launch that they realised um, from the from their data that yeah no we got this wrong um, so they knew even before they hit the hit the track for testing that they'd they they they'd 
made mistakes in the design of the car and they'd already started working on uh, on big improvements and updates and they said it was going to be in and around Silverstone before those updates were going to come through and that their performance would turn around. So this has been in the pipeline um, and they've had several, several months to work on it. So it's not like they just, you know, rushed through um, an upgrade over the last couple of races, brought it through to Silverstone and bolted it on and boom, all of a sudden the car has turned around. They knew their car was bad at the beginning of the season started working on it before the cars hit the track and they've been working on it for several months so I'm not super surprised it's still a huge jump um, and we'll see if it's going to work on every circuit but yeah McLaren they do, they did, they done good they done good at Silverstone um, oh god I'm rambling on way too much um, what else do I say about the Formula 1 I'm not going to go into too much detail as I said about races that have gone before you know, look, Max is running away with the with with the championship. Um, it's just it's only a matter of time now before he uh, he's officially crowned. Um, I read some sort of statistic. Um, he could finish second place for the rest of the season, even with um, Perez winning all the rest of the races and still win the championship. Uh, that is how far ahead he is. Um, there's a sanitation truck um, driving towards me in a suspicious manner. Um, I hope he doesn't come over and have some sort of awkward chat with me he ain't the law um, a Fuso um, which is also yeah, an offshoot of Mitsubishi because it has a Mitsubishi badge on it as well um, anyway where was I yeah sorry um, yeah I won't go into it because um, as I said there's a couple of races to come I'll probably talk about those races um, in upcoming podcasts if I manage to keep the train going um, but more so the, the mid-season break is coming up and I'll probably do a mid-season review um, I made some predictions pre-season as to how everyone would do. I haven't looked back at them since, but I will do come come the mid-season chitter chat. Um, as far as I'm aware, I've been I've been pretty on point with my predictions, but um, we'll get into that at, at a later date. What I will say is um, I did actually attend uh, the Spanish Grand Prix a few weeks ago. Um, a friend was very uh, was very courteous and. Um, had a spare ticket um, and at the 11th hour um, asked me did I want to go and um, how can you say no to that um, it was the bank holiday weekend as well so like there was no excuse not to um, it not in a season that hasn't exactly been a firecracker it was it was a uh, it was a dull race in itself um, Max ran away with it um, and then it was a bit of a it was just a bit of a DRS train race Um the Barcelona, the Spanish Grand Prix, generally, um, I don't have obviously, I don't have a wealth. I've only been to one of the races previously, um, which was Austria last year, which was fantastic, um, which I won't go into too much detail on. But they put on a great spectacle. Um, there was lots of, there was lots of uh, support races. There was F two, F three. There was the Porsche Super Cup. There was demo runs of old F one cars. There was an air display, um, and all the facilities. You know, one thing I liked about it was that all the facilities there. Um, it hasn't yet, anyway, fallen into the the trap um, of the increased popularity of F1 and kind of got a bit too big for its boots and tried to become exclusive and flashy. It's still very kind of grassroots in its feeling. You know, you camp. You know, there's there's just shitty cheap food, which is kind of what you want when you're just you know kind of you know roughing it in a tent. Um, but the facilities are good, like. I know, I'm getting, I'm getting too much to you, but Austria was very, very good. Now, don't get me wrong, any Formula 1 race, any motor race event, I would go to and enjoy. And I had a great time. It, it, was, a, it was a great weekend. But just, like, traffic getting in and out of the track was absolutely dreadful. Um, the, the mapping in, in and around the circuit was absolutely nonsensical. Um, and just, like, there wasn't a whole lot going on other than... The F2 was on, um, the F2 cars actually sound so much better than the Formula 1 cars, um, which is saying a lot because neither of them sound great, but um, something that doesn't come across on the TV with the F2 cars is you hear the pops and bangs, um, but there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more um, wastegate and, and kind of turbo whistle um, that you don't hear on the TV. Anyway, by the point. So yeah, so there was, there was the F2 race, um, 
and I think that was it. There was just there was very little else going on, um, and then you had the Formula One race. Which don't get me wrong, you're, we're there for the Formula One. The Formula One is the is the main event. But just going again off of Austria, they just they keep you entertained while there's no track action going on, and then there was a lot of track action, and um, be about competitive and, and and just demonstrations and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd rush back to the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, it just it's never been the most exciting race, even in in, in the crazy seasons. Um, like, okay, you had stuff like Max Verstappen winning his first Grand Prix back in 2016 um, during the Mercedes dominance because the two Mercedes drivers took themselves out. But again, that was just kind of a first lap chaos, which caused that strange result. But generally, it's because the teams have so much data. They do the, they have testing there. Um, and it's just like, it's not, a, it's not a really a track that's set up for form, modern Formula 1 cars anymore overtaking's not great at it um, and just yeah just the whole the whole organisation of the Formula 1 of the Grand Prix was just a bit it just felt a bit half hearted it kind of felt like they were resting on their laurels like yeah we have the Formula 1 deal with it you get in you find your way around and you know we're not going to lay, lay out the right harbour for you just you, you do your thing and then fuck off um, but I'm very thankful that I got the opportunity to go I still really enjoy it and great thanks to my friend for uh, for giving me the opportunity to go it was great fun and um, we went two and four to the track in a GR Yaris which is a fucking fantastic car um, brilliant only other thing I'll say as well I said I wasn't going to talk too much about Formula 1 although I've been talking for about fucking six hours now at this point I'm at 36 minutes um, the, the only thing I have to bring up um, the Miami Grand Prix and not so much about the race itself but just that absolute cringeworthy nonsense that went on before the race with fucking LL Cool J announcing each driver as they came out from a smoky backdrop a la um, stars in their eyes um, it was just painful to watch um, it seems to be things they're kind of you know only doing at American rounds which is which is fine um, but yeah, it was terrible, so less of that. Um, if you didn't see it, just Google it and have a look on YouTube um, and, and cringe and wince. If you're, in, if you're into cringe-type humour, like stuff like The Office and stuff like that, yeah, it's that, it's that kind of vibe. Um, what else have I done, really? Um, I'm not going to go into the, the weeks and months of shit I've seen because there's too much and it's been too many weeks. Um, I was in Amsterdam a few weeks ago. Um, and like a lot of other um, mainland European cities, you always see stuff that you just don't see here in Ireland. Um, yeah, Amsterdam had loads of great stuff. They love it. They really do love a nice estate car. Um, one of the first things I saw was a, an E39 um, B10 Alpina estate. Fantastic. Um, just loads of great stuff. Just parked up on the side of the road. You just don't see... Um, Again, I won't go into all of it. If you want to see, just go into my stories and stuff on 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 Instagram. Um, car underscore no sore c a u r underscore n o s a u r on Instagram. If you don't already follow me, um, which I'm sure you probably do or don't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, loads of, and while I was there as well, I went to the Lumen. I think that's how you pronounce it. L o u w m a n. I think that's how it's spelled. The Lumen Museum, which isn't in, isn't actually in Amsterdam itself. It's in the it's in the Hague. Um, but again, you, you can get to it. It's like a 30, 30, 40 minute um, train ride from Amsterdam Central um, to The Hague. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to open the door. So it's, very, it's very warm. It is. Albeit it's overcast, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a stuffy, warm um, summer's day here in Dublin. Um, yeah, if, if you're in Holland, um, or like, well, like Holland's not a big country, it doesn't matter where you're in Holland. If you're in Holland, or the surrounding areas, I'd highly recommend going to the Lumen Museum. Even if you have people with you who are not car people, it's just a, it's it's, a, it's in a kind of like a stately. I don't know if you'd never necessarily call it a stately home, but it's this lovely stately building with these lovely surrounding gardens, um, and it kind of just they have, it's, a, it's a private collection that's been accumulated over the years by the Lumen family, um, and it, it goes from. The absolute inception of the car um, up to like I wouldn't say modern day so much, but up until like at least the eighties. Um, and yeah, you, you got like, the way you go through the museum; it goes through a timeline. And uh, like some of the, like some of the really old stuff that they have, like um, you know, late nineteenth century stuff, 
you know, steam powered stuff, combustion powered stuff. It's not even uh, it's not even uh, restored, so it's as is. It's fascinating, but it goes through. They've they've loads of um, they have like you know uh, old concept cars and just beautiful. Leads. I won't go through everything that's there. Um, I, I'd highly recommend you visit it. As I said, it's I don't think I don't think it was too expensive. I think it might be twelve quid entry or something like that. Um, but it's because it's kind of like the full history of of the car from the late nineteenth century up to the late twentieth century. And um, it kind of coincides, kind of you know, with the history of the world as well, uh, and through the motor car. It, it, it's it's fascinating. It's a brilliant, brilliant museum. Highly recommended if you're in the area. Um, anything else? The Herbert Park uh, Car Show was on just last weekend. Again, I'm not going to go into full details as to what was there. Go into my Instagram or go into any Irish Instagram account, or even just go into Instagram and uh, look up Herbert Park. You'll see um, endless photos of the stuff that was there. Loads of great stuff. Loads of high-end um, stuff from you know supercars to sports cars to just run-of-the-mill you know old stuff like two CBs and, and such. Um, there was a there was an M or two kit car um, to make it look, look like a, like a chance to dolly, um, but you could spot it from a mile away. Um, yeah. A great, a great event, um, especially now like stuff like you know the Term Your Car Show, which has been postponed yet again. Um, it hasn't been on for several years. It's kind of like it's one of the few um, kind of you know in a park on on some grass car shows in Ireland that's uh, or in Dublin at least anyway that that's that's uh, worthy of your attendance. Um, and it gets some good, some great stuff, some stuff you just don't ever see, some very rare stuff, some very high end stuff. Um, like last year, this year as well, like the timing of it, even though it was in, um, what was it, late June, early July? Was it the first weekend in July or was it the last weekend in June? Anyway, time of year where the weather should be absolutely spectacular, um, but it was just overcast and quite rainy, um, because yes, that is how the Irish summer works. Um, yeah, so I'll talk about some, 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 some car stuff as well. Again, I can't go through everything that was released, launched, cancelled whatever whatever over the last 10 weeks but just stuff that's been happening recently um so actually just today um caterham um them of the uh the, the would they still call it the caterham seven anyway the caterham the caterham the caterham only make one car just several variants of, of the one car um, that we all know and love the 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 car that originally started like is the lotus seven and they've They've uh, evolved um, the same idea um, into some crazy batshit stuff with power to weight ratios of close to 700 horsepower. Anyway, they released a concept called the Project V. I don't know if that's Project V or Project 5, uh, being a Roman numeral maybe. Um, but it's an electric sport sports car. Um, they've they've designed it in conjunction with um, Yannerly, who are another small uh are they British? Um, a small sports car manufacturer, small lightweight sports car manufacturer, who brought out a thing a few years ago, which the name of which I can't explain, but kind of a retro, modern, small rear-wheel drive sports car. Um, so you can kind of see the design influences anyway from Yannerly in this Project V thing. Uh, but the thing is, it's a it's a concept at the moment, but it's a uh, it's an it's an EV concept from Caterham. Um, it's a good-looking car. Look it up. Um, they're a bit scant on the actual details of it um, and whether it'll be a, a, an actual production car is, is yet to be seen so you'd have to assume it is it, it looks production ready um, so I, I, I'm going to assume we'll see a production version of this in not too distant future because Caterham even showcased um, an electric version of the 7 uh, a few weeks back as well which they said wasn't going to go into production but the drivetrain they said is something that will probably be seen in a car Um going forward, which I assume will be this Project V thing. Um, but look that up. Um, interesting. So we haven't yet really seen a proper um, EV sports car as yet. Um, while I am not exactly excited about an electric sports car future, it kind of feels like it's an inevitable future. Although, as I mentioned earlier, maybe synthetic fuels will save the day for us yet. We shall see. Um, what else has come out? Aston Martin have been on a bit of a roll. Um, obviously, the Formula One team have been doing have been doing great guns. Again, I'm not going to go into too much detail about that because I'll, I'll touch on Formula One at a later date. But um, 
they've released two things recently. Um, so there's the DB12, um, which will obviously replace the DB11. Um, evolutionary rather than a revolutionary design. Um, but a good looking car. Um, Aston tend to make good looking cars. I can't really think of a ugly Aston Martin. Um, there are some, obviously. Um, but for, for the most part, Aston Martin make good looking cars. Is it, would I ever own an Aston Martin? I'm not too sure. Um, I really do love the, the first generation, I might say first, first generation, with the, the V8 Vantage of the uh, the early to mid-2000s. Um, I think it's a fantastic looking car and they've always kind of appealed to me. A manual V12 would be an interesting prospect. Um, getting off topic, but um, yeah, the DB12 um, seems to be a good step forward from what I've read um, of those who have driven it on the DB11. It seems to be dynamically uh, a good steer. They very much improved the interior. Um, trust Lawrence Stroll um, to come along and um, turn around Aston, who were going through a very rocky patch there until he came along. He's really kind of turned around the company in the last 12 months. Um, interesting. Again, like I suppose, what would his closest rival be? Um, like, would I have would I have one over a 911? It's, it's, it's kind of a different prospect. Um, in the Ferrari camp, like there's the there's the Portofino, um, which is probably its closer because it's a V8. Would it happen over a Portofino? Maybe. It's a, bit, it's a better looking car. Um, would it have it over a Roma? I suppose the Roma is probably in a different bracket. It's um, it's a V12, um, because as far at the moment anyway, Aston Martin are saying this DB12, despite the name, will, will be V8 only. Um, and the the port or the the Rome is at a higher price point. Um, yeah, I suppose it's, again, it's, it's Aston Martin kind of sitting in a middle ground, um, all on their own. Um, it, but look, it's 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 certainly. I don't think any of us would want to see Aston Martin disappear. Um, and it seems to be heading in the right direction. Um, and the DB12 seems to be the beginning um, of that uh, new direction of joy and delight ramble ramble and um, the other thing that Aston Martin released just yesterday was the thing called the Velour which is a terrible terrible name I know they like naming their cars um, with V's um, for the most part even though the DB line is not V at all um, I'm sure there's some backstory to using the name Velour but it just reminds me of the of the the, the, the tacky fluffy material that um, has often uh lined the seats of uh, 1970s cars and uh, also the tracksuits worn by the mafia and teenage girls who have uh, the word juicy uh, written across their backside um, but yeah velour that's the you know it's not a great name it's a it's a limited run car that they're doing um the, the design the, the, the pictures they released are all very kind of low light and not very good to judge it kind of looks like that uh, Victor, which again, another terrible name for a car. Um, one-off special thing they did for someone a couple of years ago, which I'm sure you all remember. Kind of has hints of that in it. Um, I'm going to wait and judge fully on the, on the aesthetics until I see it. I think it's going to be at uh, Goodwood this weekend, um, so we might get some some proper photos of it. Um, but anyway, it's 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 on the the same architecture as as the DB and. Um, current vantage whatever that's called um but it's going to have the v12 which the db12 doesn't the the twinter which charged 5.2 liter um v12 if i getting my numbers correctly made it to a six-speed manual gearbox which has made it to a a mechanical limited slip diff um limited to 100 100 units um look a manual v12 rear wheel drive sports car um aston martin we, we, you, know, you, you can't be negative about that. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I assume. Well, I don't know if any journalists will get their hands on it. It being such a limited run car. Great. Whatever. It's. I'm, I'm not. I'll wait and judge on on the aesthetic, but the mechanical package sounds interesting. Um, yeah, we can't. Uh, I, I can't be cynical. You know, anyone who makes a manual gearbox V12 engine sports car. It has to be celebrated. Rumble, rumble, rumble. Other limited run stuff. Um, there's been another one-off uh, Ferrari uh, released. It's called the KC23. 
um, I believe it's based off of um, the I think the 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 underpinnings are 296 I'm not too I'm sure they didn't go into too many specific details but it being a one-off they don't have to um, but it's um, I would say the 296 the 296 GT3 because it's a, it's a track only car um, I assume they go track only for these one-offs at times because there's less um, homologation uh, restrictions when you go for a track only car if I was in the luxurious position of uh, being able to commission a one-off Ferrari um, I would probably go and get a, a road going version um, a la um, Eric Clapton's one he got a few years ago which I think was called the EC something or other it was based on a 458 um, and kind of made to look like a, a BB like getting off topic this KC23 um, yeah as far as I'm aware I think it's got the the twin turbo V6 uh, and the chassis um, from the 296 GT3 um, it's got like active aero um, it's got wheels for the track and then it's got wheels that you can put on it just for display purposes you can take the wing off for when not on track and then the active aero you know goes back inside um, so it's got a nice clean it's a, it's a strange design um, personally it's not it's not a design I would would have would have signed off on it's a one off though so whoever commissioned it I'm sure they love it um, I think I would you'll have to look it up yourself obviously I can't really I can't quite describe it um, you'll have to just look it up it's kind of it kind of it has hints of that Daytona thing they brought out recently um, it's just the like the, the profile proportions look a bit it's, 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 it's an odd looking car um, I'm not saying I dislike it I'm just not sure if I like it um, if I again was in the enviable position of of commissioning a one-off Ferrari I think I'd go for something a little bit more um, a little more elegant um, I wouldn't I'd like to try, try and strike that balance I wouldn't want to go retro but an elegant modern design which brings me on nicely as a segue into something that is kind of like a nice elegant slightly retro but modern design and something that's kind of flown on the radar I don't think I haven't heard too many people talk about it but it's a car called the AIM EV Sport 01 um, now again it's an electric sports car and it's only in concept form so much but just going on the aesthetics alone I think it's a very pretty looking car and they've struck the balance like I said between retro and modern very very well um, look it up AIM AIM EV Sport 01 um, I believe the guy who designed um, or had certainly was part of the design team for the um, and I'm talking about technical design here um, the R35 Nissan GTR, which obviously is a you know a legendary car in itself, and he also has history in building um, V10s uh, for uh, for LMP cars, um, which is good. Speaking of LMP cars, actually, um, I should have mentioned this when I was talking motorsport earlier. Another thing that happened while whilst I've been gone um, was the 24 Hours of Le Mans, um, which is part of the World Endurance Championship, and obviously. As I've discussed before, as I'm sure you're all aware, um, the World Endurance Championship is kind of at the beginning of hopefully a purple patch um, with the current regulations that they've brought, that they've brought in. Um, the LM, LMH, LMDH, there's two, anyway, the top class can have two types of cars. You can have a ground-up design that you do yourself, and then there's LMDH, which allows people from IMSA in America to get involved, blah, blah, blah. Um, so there's loads of manufacturers have come back um, Toyota are, are, are there with their own car they're doing the version that they build themselves as our Ferrari um, as our Peugeot and then you have people like Porsche who've come back in with, um, with with privateer teams they're doing the other route they're doing bought in chassis blah blah anyway, I'm not going to get into the technical the details it's, it's it's all a bit confusing but anyway um, so that during unsurprisingly um because Toyota never left, um, they went from the the LMP prototype era. Um, they only started winning when everyone else disappeared, Audi and Porsche. They just those lads disappeared. Toyota won um, because they had no competition essentially, um, and they stuck with. St they never went away, so they were the first ones to come back in for this new prototype era. Um, and because they've kind of got you know a leg up on everyone, they've been dominating this season. Bar Le Mans. Um, so Ferrari are back. Um, it's the first time a factory 
Ferrari team have been, have been in the top flight of world endurance in 50 years and well they won Le Mans um, which is a great story it was great to see it was the, the, this if you want the secondary car the number 51 car that won um, it was a crazy race I'm, like, I'm not going to go into the full details of the 24 hours of Le Mans um, it, it was a very it was, a, it was a, I only saw I had to dip in and out of it because um, I was away it was actually while I was in Amsterdam but I, I, caught, I caught the start and I caught the end and I dipped in and out once or twice um, during the race Um Yes, they, they won, and look, you can't take away from the fact they won, and it's, it's a great fairy tale story. Ferrari winning Le Mans back after 50 years. Um, brilliant. However, there was a controversial thing that we can't ignore, um, and it's the balance of performance. And the balance of performance worked in their favour, and it kind of hindered um, Toyota when it came to Le Mans. I'm not going to get into too much detail about it because it is what it is. Those are the rules. It's not Ferrari's fault, but it's something that I think it needs to be looked at because this has happened before. Um, if you go back and look at Ford um, when they came back in with the G Ford GT a few years ago, um, you know they kind of they kind of sacrificed performance in other rounds of the championship to give them a leg up for Le Mans, which is kind of what happened here now with um, the Ferrari thing at Le Mans. Um, but anyway, look, it was great to see Ferrari win. It, it was a fairy tale story, and Toyota are, are undoubtedly going to win the, the overall championship. Um, and look, as I, it's probably the beginning of a purple patch. Hopefully, the, the grid will tighten up. Um, like Peugeot were on the podium in Monza, the, the six hours of Monza was on the weekend. Peugeot, who've been doing pretty piss poor, managed to get on the podium in Monza. Um, Porsche, who I said are one of the teams who are going down the other route of of not doing a ground up car, of ground up car, whichever one that is. I think it's the LMDH. I'll get the details again. They've you know obviously Porsche have a great history in in the World Endurance Championship going back to fucking the nineteen sixties. They've been having an awful time of it, so hopefully they catch up. Um, next season we'll have BMW who are competing in IMSA this year, but they'll be in Le Mans next year. Also, a car that we're going to see at the Festival of Speed, um, which I'm going to dip in and out of at the weekend. Um, I'd love to be there. It's the 30th anniversary, but you know, something for next year. I'm not going to get into that. Um, Lamborghini are going to be coming into the top flight for the first time, and their car is going to be launched at the Festival of Speed. Um, we have teams like um, Glickenhaus, there's Van Wall, um, Cadillac. Um, I'm sure I'm missing someone, but... In Le Mans next next year there could be there could be thirty cars in the top flight, um, and that's not before we talk about LMP two, which is very competitive, and GTE AM, which is um, I want to say it's very competitive, but um, Corvette actually managed to claim the championship um, at Monza, um, so that championships are already wrapped up, and I think there's still two rounds to go. Anyway, that's uh, yeah. Sorry, I got sidetracked by talking about um, World Endurance Championship after talking about that AMEV. I'm getting very rambly now, and I'm probably going to have to start wrapping up because I've been uh, recording for almost an hour. So I'm going to quickly ra- ramble off some other things that have come out recently. Um, Koenigsegg Jumeirah, a car that we got shown probably about a year ago, um, um, or maybe more than that, because I remember it was supposed to be launched at the Geneva Motor Show that was then cancelled due to. The COVID. Um, so the Jumeirah, it's uh, Christian von Koenigsegg, who forever, him and his team um, and his company are constantly pushing the technical boundaries of what's uh, capable in what he calls the hypercar um, or the mega car um, sector, as he calls it. But so basically, what he wanted to do is he wanted to um, take what he's learned from building all his other um, hypercars, the Yesco and the whatever whatever they're called all the cool cooling eggs over the last few years two two seat two door sports cars and anyway he wants to make a four door mega car um that can take four cabin sized uh cases and fit four grown adults comfortably and um, with all the accoutrement that you'd want um to go on a big journey so when it was initially launched um it was gonna have you know hybrid power or sorry, you know, an electric motor up front combined with a, a three-cylinder free-valve combustion engine which had 600-odd horsepower and then made it with the electric motor. All in, it was going to have something like 1,500 horsepower. He's now come back with the production version. Um, he's made big advances in the electric motor. It's got some crazy name like the Black 
motor or something crazy like that, which has way more power, it's more compact, blah, blah, blah. And he'll still offer it with a three-cylinder engine, and it'll still have like a combined output of 1,500-something horsepower. But they, in the interim, they've also managed to take the V8 um, engine that they've been using for the last few years and managed to package it into the Jumeirah as well. So you'll be able to get a V8 option, um, which will have a combined power output of 2,300 horsepower or something like that, which is batshit crazy, but whatever. If it works, um, what an incredible car. A four-seater um, four seater car with 2,300 horsepower with a V8 engine and four-wheel drive, will sit four adults um, comfortably with all your luggage and um, it's amazing if, if I was one of the mega rich I would have put my name down immediately once I heard the news about this thing um, I think it's going to be an amazing car I have a lot of time for Christian von Koenigsegg and the Koenigsegg company and um, I think it's brilliant probably not the, the greatest looking um, car in the world not ugly by any means but um, the fact that it's a thing at all uh, is brilliant and yeah I, I'm, I'm almost lost for words when it comes to it um, okay so I've talked about that now hang on I'm going to have to really ramble off now because uh, I, I've been talking for way too long um, the next M5 BMW have said um, there will be a touring version um, obviously that's coming off the back of the success of the M3 touring um, sure we'll see um, I just think you know, peak BMW like Volkswagen I think is in the past um, on a subjective level anyway at least um, what else have we got um, oh yeah Ferrari, I should have talked about this when I was talking about that one off Ferrari um, the, the newest XX model um, which is kind of you know, the limited run super versions of uh, Ferraris um, obviously, you know, we've had the, the Enzo FX um, and then there was the, uh, the 599 XX um, they did one for the LaFerrari as well didn't they um, they've all been super 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 performance track only versions um, of, of Ferraris um, so they've come out with a new one it's an, it's an SF90 version the SF90 XX um, again a super duper duper performance version of the SF90 which is a car that hasn't been lacking in power anyway um, but there's one key word in the name of this one and it's Stradale um, so yes, this is the first XX model that will actually be road legal. Um, am I interested? Of course I am. Am I really interested? Mm, I don't know. I, do I care? I don't know. The proof will be in the pudding. I'll wait until people drive it and tell me how good it is. Um, but I don't. The SF90 is just a car. Again, a peak Ferrari, peak peak car generally. I think is is in the past. Um, Although as much as I, I like, I really like the two nine six GTB, but that the SF ninety, I don't know, it's just a car that Ferrari brought out, which technically is obviously undoubtedly it's it's, it's, it's I'm sure it's amazing, but I don't know, it, it's a car that just does nothing for me. Anyway, got to keep rambling here. Um, the only other thing, okay, the last thing I'll talk about car wise, um, Singer have brought out their latest um, iteration of super duper resto mod Porsche, um, it's the DLS Turbo. Which is kind of an homage to the uh, the nine three four dash five of the nineteen seventies, um, the race car. Um, so obviously, it's it's a turbo version of the the DLS, the design lightweight, um, which they brought out a year or two ago. Which is a which is a cool car, um, pushing the boundaries. I think of of, of the styling that that um, singer have become famous for, and the kind of resto mod styling. Um, but a cool car with a 4 litre naturally aspirated engine which they worked with Williams with um, to create this DLS Turbo I think they've pushed it a bit too far like undoubtedly it's going to be a great car like, they, they, they're not going to make a bad car it's just the people involved love cars too much but just from a styling perspective I think it's, I think they've gone too far the thing that I think everyone loved about Singers is the design cues were were subtle you have to be a car person to really know it's not just an old Porsche. It's 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 something a little bit extra. And um, whereas this DLS Turbo thing, they've kind of gone a bit too wild, I think, with the styling. And um, like it, you can see, obviously, all the homage touches to the nine three four five, which obviously wasn't a subtle car in itself, but it wasn't a subtle car because of function. 
Um, whereas I think this is more form over function in the styling. And I, yeah, I think they've gone too far. Okay, rambled on way too long. Where am I at now? A, a, an hour and five minutes. So a quick ramble off as I normally do with um, a classified find of the week. Um, it's a 1993 Renault Twingo. Um, I don't know why again why I'm telling everyone else about this because it's a car I should buy. It's 2950. Um, I believe it's in Kildare. Um, green 1993 Twingo, so it's it's classic status. Um, and it being a 1993, it's the pre-facelift, so it's got the old interior, which is way more funky. It's a funky kind of minty green colour. Um, it's missing its hubcaps, which is a bit annoying because I don't think you'd find hubcaps for a Twingo particularly easily. But then again, then again, maybe you would because there are still a shitload of them on the continent. Um, my only thing I don't like about it, well, one, it's kind of pricey, but, you know, find another, find another. Um, it's on ZB plates which is something I wouldn't do. Um, it was, it's been recently imported from Portugal, um, so it won't be rusty, which will be good. Um, ZV plates, I just don't. Um, they're, they're black and silver ZV plates on as well. But anyway, small thing. Look it up. It's on Dundee, 1993 Renault Twingo um, in green. That's my classified find of the week. My YouTube channel um, I'm going to recommend. It's called B, just the letter B, B Sport. Um, but it actually stands for Buchanan Motorsport. Um, so if you type in Buchanan Motorsport, um, you should get it. It's a German guy who is a, is a former motorsport engineer, and he makes these um, quite nerdy. It's a very, this is a very nerd level um, YouTube channel now, but he makes these um, videos about um, motorsport uh, cars from like the eighties and nineties, but goes into the into some real interesting technical details and stuff you just probably wouldn't have um, wouldn't have known. His most recent one was on the DTM uh, Calibra. And then he did. He like he also did a fantastic one on the um, the Zach Speed Viper. Look that up. Really interesting stuff. If you're a car bore like me, especially a motorsport lover. And then finally, the music I'm going to recommend this week. I'm going to go with an album again. Um, it's been out for a couple of weeks now, but um, I'm a diehard fan of this band, Queens of Stone Age. Have brought out a new album. It's called In Times New Roman. If you're a Queens of Stone Age fan, you'll absolutely love it. If you're not, at least give it a go. But um, really good album from Queens of Stone Age. They're coming here in November. Arguably one of the best live bands um, currently uh, currently still rocking. And um, they're coming in November. I think it's probably sold out in the three arena, but look if you want to go, where's the will is a way, I'd highly recommend it. They're unbelievable. As I'm talking very fast right now, I've been talking for too long. Very rambly. I think this is at least better than the last podcast I did um, before I stopped for a while. Um, I'm gonna try and keep with it. Um, I'll try and do one week by week it's finding time which is a difficult bit because one obviously you know, I'll take, it's taking over an hour now just to record this and then I have to fucking chop it up and post it and blah 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 anyway I'm rambling if you have listened to this God bless you I love you um, and if you're going to stick with me that's even more heartwarming um, I'll try and keep it up going to stop talking now I hope you, hope you stay well be well I love you and I'll talk to you again soon bye